0: Disruptive changes at the workplace can have a serious effect on anyone who has to manage employees. On this episode of Today in Tech, we're going to talk about ways that leaders can keep their tech teams happy and productive through disruptive events. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. Welcome to Today in Tech. Joining me on the show today is Ron Gutman. He is a Stanford University adjunct professor as well as an inventor, entrepreneur and investor. Welcome to the show, Ron.
1: Welcome. Great to have you. Great to see you. Great to be here. And thank you for having me.
0: All right. Uh, You know, I want to jump right into it. Uh, In in terms of the world of work, office culture, general management trends that you're seeing out there, have we really recovered from the effects of 2020 and 2021 Um, in the framework of remote work, hybrid work, Zoom calls? Has the dust settled in terms of that? Or are we still seeing a lot of different disruptions out there?
1: Yeah, look, I think we we recovered. I think we are better off. I mean, if you ask me, I think like the, the pandemic gave us an opportunity uh, to really experience uh, more remote work uh, in depth and see a lot of the advantages that are associated with that. Sure, there's also challenges that are created with that, and we're talking a lot about it in the in the framework of uh, of three D change and, and disruption, uh, and and everything that has to do with improvement and growth and and innovation is also disruptive in nature. Yeah, so it's not very convenient and comfortable at the beginning, but I think that we got to a point that we are better off than we were before. Did we land in the same place that we were before? The pandemic no, and we never will. I think it changed to a different paradigm. Uh and I think I think net net for the better, but still people are adjusting. So there are still like a station period there where people are getting used to this new kind of hybrid model. But I think is evolving right now mm-hmm. that there's a lot more remote work, but still, you know, there's a tendency to bring people back to work as well. So there's kind of like a, a little bit here a little bit there
0: could you could you argue that the this disruption that happened within you know the, the last few years was the biggest disruption to the dynamic of managers employees team building you know keeping an innovation is that the biggest disruption within the last i don't know 10 years 20 years
1: no doubt i think that, that look for, from a real really you know when we 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 start working on on uh on, on the leading through change, which is the, the course that we taught at Stanford. Uh, you know, when we start working on the, the concept uh, in, in 2018, 2019, you know, we, we start researching this whole notion of change. We realized even back then that change is changing in an accelerated rate, right? Yeah. So, but leaders need to handle change in an increasingly faster and more frequent way. And then we saw that before the pandemic, but you know, with the pandemic arrived and especially lockdowns at the very beginning, you know the rate of disruption just accelerated and, and like you know exploded to be honest with you and we taught the first class right like in, in april of 2020 it was it was amazing because everything changed right like it, the class itself was taught virtually right so and i think that like the beauty of that was that we really took the the guests that we had, the leaders themselves, that we had started working with before to see how they managed to change. And so how they are implementing it in real time during this like very, very rapid change period of time. So I think, yes, it is the biggest disruption uh, for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it taught us a lot about how to manage things in an environment where we can't be with each other all the time.
0: Yeah, and, and you refer to this as exponential change, correct? Well, it's 3D change. Oh, right? 3D it's change only, is what you're calling it now. Yeah, okay. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's not only exponential, it's also perpetual, like it happens all the time, right? And it happens in an, it's exponential because it happens in an accelerated rate, right? And it's pervasive. Right. It, it's actually every aspect of our life. And what happened during the pandemic is not just, you know, in the, in the past, we used to be oh, one thing is changing. One thing is disrupting. Right. So it's kind of like felt like one at a time, things shift in our lives, in our workplace. Whereas during the pandemic, everything started to change. Yeah. Right. Like, well, Almost every single aspect of our life. And this becomes part of the way we live our life because the pace of change is continuously accelerated, accelerating in an accelerated rate. That's why it's exponential. Okay. Right? Only 3D change. Yeah.
0: Right? And, and and I guess the, the reason I asked the question about settling, it, it does feel like since the last, within the last year, employees are now having to deal with additional disruptions, such as the rise of artificial intelligence Intelligence. Uh, you get disruption with a lot of return to office mandates. There's anxiety out there over potential layoffs. There's an unstable economy. You've got political strife going on. Uh, it, it, it feels like that instead of settling after the pandemic, we're now there's layers and layers and layers of new challenges for it being an employee or being a, a manager or a boss of, of employees. Uh, would you agree with that or or is it or has it always been like that?
1: No, I think you're right. I think I think that it's, it's absolutely right and, and, and we see it in sapient leadership in the theory that we uh, put together in the framework that we created around sapient leadership we see that as an opportunity. Right, there are multiple layers uh, of change that are happening to us and happening to leaders in an accelerated rate. And this is an opportunity to take all the paradigms that we you know evaluated over time and kind of like got a bit dusty you know, over the years and to reevaluate them and change them in a better way, right? Like because we have to do it. And what our argument is, is that the new type of leader, the most successful leaders of our time, will be the one that learned how to handle change. You're not the ones that actually are learning a certain skill, right. Or learning a certain way of doing things and then stay with it for, for life. Right. The opposite is true. What they, what leaders need to learn today is this notion of how to handle change,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right. How to be a leader that lives in a continuously, in a continuous environment of continuous change. Right. And I think that this is the thing that will be very important in, in a world in, in which change is you know, perpetual, it's pervasive. Yeah. Right? It's exponential. Right? They need to apply sapient leadership y- yeah. in
0: order to Yeah, you use you use the term sapient leadership. I want to ask you, what does that mean? And what kind of uh traits does that entail? And how is that different from what people might have thought of 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 leaders in the past? Because uh you mentioned that leaders need to be anti-heroic as opposed to heroic. And I imagine as you know, traditional leaders would be like you know, charging up the hill with a sword going, follow me, everyone, and we'll get to the sales goal or we'll get to whatever goal they have. Uh, Sapient leadership is completely different, right?
1: Yeah, look, the the notion of follow me is something that I I, I admire because leading by example remains important, right? So let's keep that uh, in mind. But the notion of a hero leader, they know it all. You know, what we define as the hero leader, which was, we grew up with the some of these paradigms. Like, uh, here I come to save the day. Yeah, I mean, underdog, right, right.
0: Mighty
1: Mouse, right? So oh, Mighty
0: like, Mouse, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so it's like, he, here I come to save the day, right? So yeah. like, this, is, this, this paradigm is dead, and I'll explain why. In a world of change that is happening in such an accelerated rate, no individual has enough of the knowledge, the experience, the skills that are required to handle these very rapid changes. It's much more than any time before it takes a village, right? It takes a lot of people around the leader to be there with different kinds of experiences, different kinds of knowledge, different kinds of uh, expertise to jump in into the situation and create solutions that are a lot more multi-dimensional, sophisticated, deep and important at that point than any individual leader can have in their head themselves. So mm-hmm. a leader that that they know everything, and they will have solution is the smartest, or she's the smartest, it's the most capable of this, they will fail, because at one point, they'll cause everybody around them to just take a step back and say, let them make the decision, mm-hmm. even though I know better than them, and I may have been in this situation before, or I may have a piece of knowledge that they don't have. Because these leaders don't create this psychological safety Mm -hmm. around them for people to step up and say, wait, I have something for you that will actually save the day. Yeah. Yeah. The old paradigm that you have, they just step back and say, let the leader decide. Yeah. Because they know. Right. And I think that's like the idea of creating psychological safety, right, by being authentic. Right. By being, by listening to people, by learning, by digesting all of this together and then making decisions based on that creates this psychological safety. And then people come up and say, yes, I do have a different idea. I do have something to add. I do add something here that will change the day. And then actually the leader becomes better off because their decisions that are powered by. The people that are, who are, who they're leading are so much better and, and, and they can evolve very fast, yeah. very fast.
0: And I think you've pointed out the key traits, uh, to sapient leadership and it feels like creating that psychological safety, uh, but also listening and being able to adapt quickly. What are, if do you rank those traits or would you say there's more, you know, some of those traits are more important than others or are they all equally important?
1: No, they're 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 important. All of them are important. It's creating the environment, right? Like basically creating the, the the culture, like understanding like where we're going as an organization. Making making this whole notion very very uh, favorable to people, right? Like we have we have a mission. We're aligned, right? We're aligned around the mission. People are feeling that they have input into what we're doing and where we're going, right? They feel that they're part of it. They're not just like, you know, they've been taken to a journey that they may or may not want to be in, right? Right? They're, they're feeling part of it and they're feeling part of managing, right? And that's very, very important because then you get people to shine. Then people make an effort. They feel that they're in charge with everybody together. They feel accountability, right? And they feel energized to actually help and solve the situation. So you talked about the sales goal that, you know, the leader is kind of taking everybody to solve that sales goal. It's not the lead sales goal or it's not Wall Street sales goal, right? It becomes actually everybody's sales goal because now we're trying to do something together that makes all of us better off. Okay. Uh, 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 uh,
0: Yeah. How is that, uh, this concept different from the idea of leadership by committee or that term? that, That feels like it's a negative Connotation when you t- say it like that, but it can right. be collaborative, but not necessarily um, stuck into this committee. Think right?
1: No, I, I think that leadership uh, still has a place. I mean, people, uh, especially in work environments, right? Uh, people uh, need the leadership that eventually makes decisions, right? Like, and 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 real leaders understand that what they're doing is agency. Like, people, some leaders think that they start building their ego. It's I think, well, I'm smart because I'm a leader. I'm smarter, more capable. No, you are an agent. You're an agent of the people who you are leading. You're an agent of your customers. You're an agent of your partners, right? As a leader, you're an agent. Your role is to synthesize all the information that comes your way and work with everybody together to get to the best outcome for everybody, Mm -hmm. not for the leader, right? For everybody, right? And once you do that, right, you need to drive a decision because leadership by committee is, is actually not, it actually doesn't work, right? If you, everything that needs to happen, everybody needs to vote, it's completely inefficient, right? It creates a lot of friction and politics and all these kind of things, and it it fails, right? So I think that what that what we learned that it works really well with people because people still want leadership mm-hmm. is when they feel that their word is actually listened to. And not just kind of lip service, not just like, you know, leaders that say like, yeah, 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 tell me what you think and then do whatever they want. Right, right. So-
0: yeah. So when you hear the, the term leadership by committee, do you think it's more of, okay, we're all, we're, we're, we're five people in a room and then we'll vote on, on whatever decision we're going to make. And it's more of a democracy or, <laughs> I, I don't want to say democracy. It's not even yeah. democracy
1: is just like, like, really like it's a committee, right? Yeah. Everything is it's like, some, sounds like Soviet Russia or something, right? Like everything is decided by a committee. These things fail. Right. In, in in large systems and small systems, this thing fail. We vote for government once every four years to bring you know leaders into power and then let them lead, right? Like at the at the end of the day. So we want to make sure that if, if the leaders are not being good agent, we replace them, right? And that's fine. That's part of where democracy actually comes to place, because leaders need to be really great agents. But when they lead, they need to continuously take the inputs, synthesize them, and get to the best outcome for everybody. And okay. that that's and then just like every time that you need to make like a tiny decision, it's like, oh, let's bring everybody to, to vote. I mean, this is completely
0: inefficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, does, this reminds me of, um, I don't know if you watched uh, old Star Trek episodes. or Are you a, a fan of science fiction? Of course. Of course. Okay. So, uh, you know, the difference between Star Trek with Kirk, where Kirk was this leader, this, you know, follow me up the hill. My decision is what it's going to be. And then when they went to the Next Generation episode, Picard would have these meetings in the in the room and he would get input from everybody. But in the end, it was still his decision. And so it felt like we're now in this Picard world of everybody's input is, is accepted, but he can disagree and still make a decision based on all of the, the available input. Is that, is that a, a close analogy?
1: I love, I love this analogy. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's so true. It's an evolution. Even, even there it, it evolved right into a much better way of, of making decisions a lot, much better way to bring everybody with you to create alignment, right? And a lot better way to manage change. Right now, that is happening much faster, just like in the in in, in the evolution of you know science fiction. Yeah. Right? So same.
0: Okay. Is does sapient leadership does that does it work in all different types of businesses, uh, or can this only be achieved at the the top level of like a C you know the C suite? Um, can it be used in middle management? Can it be used on with frontline workers? Does it have to be a big corporation? Can it be work at a small business like? It, or does it work no matter what size uh, or structure you have?
1: Yes, th- this is the thing that surprised <laughs> us most. It works in every kind of leadership. And by, by the way, it didn't go only from all the way from the biggest corporation, one of our leaders that we hosted in, in the in the class at Stanford, one of the uh, leaders that we did research with uh, Doug McMillan, who's the CEO president of Walmart. And also Business Roundtable. He actually is the president of Business Roundtable, which is some of the biggest companies in the world.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh and very, very influential leader for many years, super successful. If you look at his track record, unbelievable. And he runs a company that has millions of millions of employees and in feeding hundreds of millions of if not billions of people, right? I mean, it's 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 can't be bigger than that, right? So that's one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, we went all the way to you know philanthropic. You know, leaders, okay. people that run a small philanthropy. And also beyond that, we went all the way to a mom okay. in a family. Yep, And yeah. believe in the type of leadership, right? In the community, like how she manages her family, how she manages interactions in the community. There's a lot of leadership. When she practices sapient leadership, it works, right? She listens, she does, and then we went all the way down to the moms that we interviewed for this thing, right? And it was amazing to see how these this same concept, cause by the way, the exponential and, and, and the perpetual and the pervasive change affect the mom as much as it affects the CEO, uh, you know, of, of Apple, right?
0: Yeah, it affects yeah.
1: the mom a lot. And <laughs> she needs to deal with this change a lot every day, right? So, so we went all the way up from the biggest companies, the biggest corporations uh, in government, even we talk with people in government and others, all the way down to the granular family, you know, uh, nucleus, that was applicable as well.
0: Okay, and uh, before I, the, the next question I have, I, can someone who has already been in a company for a while, if they've been this type of Captain Kirk like uh, leader, and they've they've always been the follow me to the top of the hill, can they? change can they change and become a more sapient leader or does the sapient leadership um concept have to rely on a different type of personality can you know can someone change or 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 do you have to bring in someone else who might have a different personality
1: i think they must change if you ask me if they can change they must change or perish i mean like i think that like they, they they don't have a choice i think like a leader that would choose that direction will inevitably fail in what they're doing. Inevitably, right? Like it's you can do it in the short term, it can succeed. You know, if we need to solve like a huge, big problem and there's no time and everything, even then doing sapient leadership quickly, like Doug, I mentioned Doug McMillan. Doug was amazing during the pandemic. We interviewed him, I think it was in April or May of 2020. He came to speak in the class. Yeah. And he was dealing with so much change. And he was talking with like the, 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 the you know, from Bentonville in like wearing this plaid shirt. He was in the working of like, you know, change and, and handling things. He was able to do it in real time, right? On the spot there, he had no choice. He did it really, really well, right? Versus other, and I'm not gonna, I don't want to insult anybody else, but if you look at some other retailers at the same time that try mm-hmm. to handle the same thing, I mean, they they melted down. Yeah. right, and, they, they were very, and some of them without mentioning who, who they are, some of these leaders were just like, you know, and doesn't matter if they're in politics or in the in business or in other arenas, they were like, I know everything. Yeah. And that's it. Ta- and it failed. It failed. It failed. It yeah, give me failed.
0: give me some examples of how you saw Doug McMillan from Walmart uh adapt to the the change. Cause it's it, it, it sounds like this is a great example of you know, this, this sapient leadership and being able to react to all of these disruptions going on. I think, you know, when we talked beforehand, you had a great example of, of how they were um, dealing with all this change. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So several, several really great examples that came up in the, in the research and also in the, in the, uh, in the class itself. So one of them was, his ability to very, very quickly, for example, create testing stations in in parking lots, mm-hmm. right? The government asked for many, this is definitely not something that they're doing. <laughs> never learn how to do that. It's not even close to what they're called competency is, how they transform the organization very, very quickly to provide a community service, right? To like millions of people and things that they've never known before. So they had to like really do like it uh, while they need to manage a pandemic right? Like that was one very important thing. And he attributed that, which was super interesting to something that happened during Hurricane Katrina, I believe, you know, when, when they had to just, you know, when, when they had to, to go to New Orleans, and then again, divert their entire operation to actually start sending, you know, trucks into this area, you know, to just provide food, provide, you know, supplies, again, not a core competency of what they had before, definitely not something that helped their earnings, but, Decision on the spot. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to do quickly, taking the information. Most importantly, the, the way he described to us how he did these things. He's like, it's not that he came out of the blue with the idea. He got information from the ground, mm-hmm. right? He synthesized it, right? He changed the way they used to do things before and moved to a different way of doing things based on the input. So for example, they had stores in Wuhan, believe it or not. So Doug told us that they, they uh, Walmart had stores in Wuhan. Mm-hmm. He got some signals early on from the early days of what's happening in Wuhan. And as opposed to other people that just said, well, you know, this is in China. I mean, like, come on, I mean, this is, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, no, he
1: listened. They came to him and said, no, Doug, you need to to do to, to do so. And he started preparing well ahead of everybody else, rather than just brush it off and say, well, let the Chinese team deal with that, right? He's like, no, 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 let me listen, let me think about it, let me synthesize, let me move, right? So pivoting because of that and preparing, and when the thing hit, he was already ready. Yeah. As opposed th- to others, it's a Chinese problem, right? So, you know, like,
0: sorry, well, well, that reminds me of another question. Do you think a lot of leaders are, uh, tend to be afraid of failing? Um, Because it feels like with this sapient leadership, if you're listening and you're hearing a bunch of different things and you still have to make a decision that if you're afraid to fail, you might hold off on making the decision um, because you don't want to fail. Whereas with, with a sapient leadership approach, even if you fail, you can quickly still adapt until you succeed. Does that make sense?
1: Yes yeah. I I I have a culture in the company that I run called Intrivo and, and the other endeavors that I run I have a culture that success in learning we call it a, a, you know tongue in the cheek we call it SNN okay. success in learning right so we have only two modes in my companies you either succeed or if something didn't work and you can actually articulate why measure it and articulate how to do it next better then you're in learning and you're still in success because learning is just gonna create the next success the only way to fail with me is to repeat the same mistake that <laughs> that's <laughs> not learning and that's, that's
0: right that's a shame. right if you but can't learn from your from your failures pain. you're not getting anywhere right
1: and then you know what this culture does it takes away the fear of failing. it takes away the fear of failing again creating psychological safety for people to really understand that it's okay to make mistakes, it's fine because you never fail as long as you don't repeat mistakes, which I don't know how to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> someone lets mistake, whatever. But if the, you make new mistakes all the time, you never fail with me. So the fear of failure goes out, and people once again are much more likely to engage. Okay, right. Leaders are much more likely to engage when they feel that they they are continuously evolving. All right, right. I- but you need to measure. You need to be driven. You need to be true to yourself. You need to be honest. You need to admit mistakes yeah. and then you move, move
0: on. Okay. Right? Positive. From, from an employee standpoint, uh, if, if maybe you're not a boss, maybe you're not a manager, but you're one of the workers. Um, can you? T- how can you tell if, if a leader is being truly authentic with you, uh, instead of rather than just repeating a bunch of buzzwords or marketing phrases or other things? Because you know I have a pretty big BS detector, uh, being a journalist. But you know there's a lot of people that might not have that detector. Um, so how can you tell? And, and, and you hear leaders leaders talk all the time. Um, so. Is there, is there a way that you can tell whether someone is being authentic or if they're just repeating buzzwords?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, like, you know, there's uh, there's several layers of that. First of all, put it to test, right? If somebody comes and tells you, you know, they believe in something, right? You know, put it to test, right? Like, make sure that, you know, if if we are practicing safety and leadership, we're practicing success and learning, is this something that we like, when I make that mistake, am I being barraged <laughs> mm-hmm. for the mistake? Cause then it's, it's not, it's lip service, right? Like it's not, right? It, when I have a new idea, even if it comes up and it's not the right idea, they're not the same idea that the leaders has, am I being listened to? I don't need to be agreed to like, you know, Bezos had this like uh disagree and commit culture, which I think is an awesome culture. Jeff Bezos built Amazon on top of it and I think it's smart. Disagree and commit means first, allow people to disagree and listen to them when they disagree. Don't just say, ah, and then do what you want to do. If you do it three times and they know, then they know that you're not authentic. They need to see that sometimes when they come up with these ideas, especially when they're different than yours, sometimes you change and you celebrate that, you celebrate that. When you change, you change your mind, you celebrate that. You say, look, this guy or this lady came to me and said this thing. I'm brilliant. I used to think this way. I went that way, amazing. Like, celebrate it. Let people understand that it's right. And if you're an employee, test it. Test it. Try it. right? Try to come up with something that is different. Are they accepting it the way it is? Are they listening? If they agree or disagree, it's not the point. Do they listen? Right? Yeah. So that's very, very important. Test it and also feel it. Feel it. Authenticity is something you feel. Okay. Right? Authenticity is.
0: Yeah. So that leads me to another question in, with the role of the follower uh, or and I use the word follower in, in quotes here, but the role of an employee that's working with a with a leader who's going to practice sapient leadership. Does their role also have to change? It feels like they have to buy into this concept as well, that they can't just be a follower. They can't just say, all right, I'll follow you up the hill and we'll go fight this battle or. Um, how how does a, think, an employee think, deal with that?
1: I believe that everybody practices sapient leadership, not just the leader. Yeah. I think everybody practices leadership because sapient leadership brings the entire group into leadership, basically, right? So sapient leadership cannot be practiced just by the leader. If people don't participate in this culture, it's moot, right? You know you don't get the benefits of sapient leadership. So I think that like absolutely instilling this mindset in the organization. Creating the, not only creating the psychological sense, but creating the arena, you know, opening the discussion for people to say things, reminding them that we're practicing sapient leadership, celebrating the people who do come up with opinions that are different and prevail, right? All of these things are part of getting sapient leadership to work where everybody practices it, not just the leader.
0: Yeah, and and so we have a lot of uh, tech teams that, that follow the, the show and, and watch our stuff. And we are a technology podcast um, within uh, specific teams that have technology People in them, so engineers, for example, or or programmers. Some of them are usually more introverted, maybe than others. On a sales team, for example, um, I would imagine that a sales team and, an, and a marketing team would be all in on this idea because they'd be gung ho and they'll just do whatever <laughs> the leadership wants them to. But if someone's introverted, does it does this still work depending on the personalities of the team members, or could it could it get big? Could it get bogged down into some other difficult arenas?
1: So, so, so the question is that like, can you rephrase just the last? Well, part does does question? sapien
0: leadership work uh, amongst a different a bunch of different types of personalities within a team? Uh, you know, you've got a group of engineers yeah. that are quiet into themselves and don't necessarily, you know, yell out ideas at a at a meeting.
1: Yes, because again, you need to create the environment that takes into account the personality of your team it's very, very important, right? So the the idea is if you have a bunch of introverted engineers, and you just like expect them to just come up and talk in town halls, I mean, you're not really practicing sapient leadership, once again, because the leaders alone cannot practice sapient leadership, right? So you need to the kind of arenas and create the kind of environment that facilitates and makes it easier for them to participate. Right. In the conversation, it can be one on ones. It can be like, like, you know, kind of like, th- like a bottom up approach of like, you know, giving them a forum that is a little bit more. Oh, a bunch of engineers are getting together several times a week and having discussions that are not just, you know, the scrum, the, the, the daily scrum and the, yeah. the, the work that they're doing in Apple, but it's like it actually, they're talking about some topics that are, you know, related to the company uh, at large, but they're, they're more comfortable doing it in their pod rather than, you know, in, in doing it in, in, in a larger environment. Right. So I think that again, intentionality is everything here, right? Like you can't just expect it to happen by itself and you need to be mindful of the fact that there are multiple it, personalities, styles, et cetera, in, in the workplace, no matter
0: what. Yeah. And, and a lot of these things that we've been discussing re- make, reminds me of this concept of brainstorming meetings. And uh, there were a few articles a few months ago where people were saying that the idea of a brainstorming meeting is, is now old and past. And uh, I just wanted to, what are your thoughts are of brainstorming meetings? Can it be beneficial or does it get bogged down into uh, weird places? And how does that fit within the sapient leadership model?
1: So you, you're asking basically about the brainstorming.
0: Yeah. Right. So, so, so
1: brainstorming in, in my mind, brainstorming is alive and kicking. It's great. It's a way of actually practicing sapient leadership. Uh, brainstorming, good brainstorming has a methodology, right? I had a, a great privilege to, to, when I was at Stanford University to, to work with David Kelly, uh, was a, the, 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 the father of the D school, the design school at Stanford and then started IDEO. And, and, and really learn from, from him a lot about this whole notion of, uh, of, of brainstorming, uh, this whole notion of like how to do it in a methodology that gives everybody the opportunity to engage. One of the most important rules for, for effective brainstorming is like you, you never judge, right? What mm-hmm. I learned about, you know, great, you know, brainstorming participatory opportunity to do things together is that you don't judge. Let people just, you know, they do stop them in, in sticky notes. They put sticky notes on, on, a, on a wall or on a black, on a whiteboard. And just so that nobody has the opportunity to say, oh, this is a dumb idea. Because no ideas, no ideas are dumb. That's again psychological safety. Everybody has the opportunity to, to participate. So I think that if you create uh, brainstorms, right, and you work in the framework of design thinking, right? Which is you know the the, the thing that came out from the, the design school at Stanford, but right, design thinking enables you to create a methodology that allows everybody to participate in creating a better solution that solves whatever we're trying to solve better. And it also like, you know, it's it's a lot of fun for people. I mean, I think you take people that otherwise are just doing their job every single day and you bring them to the point, the place that they can think, engage, create, and they're listened to. Yeah. And you tell them no idea dumb idea right? I've, I've everything been, is fine
0: I, I i get that and i and i generally support that but i've been in a lot of bad brainstorming meetings and i and i think that it's probably because they break that rule of judging they need, you know whenever you right. pitch an idea it, the basic instinct for a lot of employees is to just go negative and start thinking of everything why they start thinking of reasons why that idea is bad and then they start listing no, so it out yeah. and then and then you get into a power struggle from the people that talk and interrupt and 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 or the boss then goes ah, i don't know I did, that would cost too much money ah. and then and then i feel if i'm an employee that, that had that idea of like well i'm not now i'm going to start filtering my ideas um I, I i would imagine that there's a lot of people out there that have had bad brainstorming meetings and how do you fight that urge to to judge and criticize i guess is the question
1: yeah look. Methodology, like I, I think that like, using the methodology, right, is is very very important. Yeah. Right. Because I think that's like the idea of like there's a methodology of like how to let people, what are the ground rules, how to let them express their opinions, how to actually after they express their opinions, you know, do this kind of like you know people voting, but without people seeing what other people are voting because it's all confidential, right? So nobody feels pressure. Yeah. You know to say something that they have to say, right? So. So, you know, I think, or or they're they're like, oh, shoot, if I say something, they'll shoot it down. Nobody knew who brought up the idea. So, when the people are voting on ideas that are better to just condense, because you do want to condense, some people come up with ideas that are out there, which is fine. They're just not going to solve the problem. Yeah. So, so how do we do it? Bring more of the people to coalesce around certain ideas, and then we test them, right? We test them, we put them to the test of reality. So, I think that there's a lot of things in product design, like that, uh, on creating solutions. I love product, I'm a product guy, right? I love building product, I I like creating product. And I think that brainstorming solutions that lead to better product that solve the problem better start with a great brainstorm with a lot of great people. By the way, not just professionals, because sometimes you get the best ideas of how to tackle a problem from somebody that is actually not a professional, but sees things from a certain perspective that you missed. Right, so it's very helpful to synthesize that into the decision making uh, as well. So I generally speaking like brainstorms, I did participate in brainstorm that we didn't work at all. Most of them because either they lack methodology or like you're saying, people put other people down, which is that this is the end of it. We yeah. cannot, cannot Well, to celebrate everybody.
0: Ron, what I need your help with is, is how do I brainstorm with my family in terms of where we go to eat that night? Because that brainstorm <laughs> meeting always ends up with uh, hurt feelings of of someone not liking the But the you're hungry, choice.
1: what? Don't, don't brainstorm when you're hungry. Like it's like, like my mom used to give me the HALT rule, you know, the HALT rule, H-A-L-T, you know what the HALT stands for? No.
0: What does it stand for?
1: There are four states, there are four states in which you should not create any, you should not engage in contentious or arguments with people, right? Or even do debates. The four states that will actually cause people to overreact, right? Four states, and the the acronym for that is HALT, H-A-L-T. Hungry,
0: Yeah. Angry. Angry and tired. What was? I'm sorry. What was I'm that? Angry. Whoa, whoa. No, you're you're hungry. Yep. Angry, lonely, and
1: tired.
0: Okay, lonely and tired. Okay. All right. So yeah. brainstorming he's a, he's meeting should have uh, hungry. brainstorming <laughs> meeting should have food. It should yes. be done at an amusement park because that that's when everybody won't be angry. Uh, in in a group, so no one feels lonely. And then and then uh, I, I guess uh, in the middle of the day when no one's coffee. tired.
1: Coffee and green coffee
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um, one final question, does does this require any reshuffling of, of a company's organization or uh, or can they do this within a current structure? And then another question, do, does a company employ this like a large, like just do it all at once or do is it more of a slow stepping process to, to start implementing this?
1: Well, it depends. It depends on the company and depends on where they are, where they are starting it, and and it also depends on like you know, it's great changes is, is is an art, you know. that yeah. There's a whole, you know, all all you know, you know, books and and and, and more and, and written about, uh, you know, change management. But you know, when you think about change, in my mind, is is you need to create alignment. You need to make sure that there it's coming into the organization in a way that is explained really well and bringing people into the fold, It needs to be methodological and it needs to be analyzed first to understand where the organization is, where people are vis-a-vis where you want to go and what are the best steps to, ta- to take to get in. Some organizations just like tweaking a little bit here and there and talking with some leaders and yeah. figuring out some processes. Some of them will require more than that in order to get there. But sapient leadership is something that can happen gradually. You can bring it into the organization. Gradually, you don't need to just like transform the whole organization and you know, turn it upside down and make it happen in one day. Mm-hmm. It's something that can actually get into the organization gradually. And we've seen it. We've seen it in organizations that were able to transform themselves all the way from startups, right? That were able to just kind of from, from a very frantic mode of like, you know, a leader that is just scrambling to, to, to do whatever. To a great working team that was that was actually accomplishing a lot. To bigger organization that you know took management consultants to 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 get this thing done, right? Yeah. So, but I think that all, all all along the continuum it's possible and depends on the organization.
0: All right, uh, Ron. Uh, gr- great conversation. Thanks for for joining us on the show today. Some some fascinating uh, topics.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure. I love the podcast. I can't wait to see it. And look forward to our next conversation. All right.
0: We've got a fan. All right. Uh, That's all the time we have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and add any comments that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.